I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Rod Dad, were we better? Just kidding. I'm just kidding. No, you gotta <laughs> stick with it. That's good. No, I never say hello. <laughs> Do it. Never say hello. <laughs> it's a sign of weakness. <laughs> Let them say hi first. Okay, I'm just gonna do what I normally do. Oh my god. Okay. okay. I'm keeping all that in. By the way, <laughs> no, that's good stuff. Welcome to Bad Dad, Rad Dad, where we look for better dads, one movie at a time. I'm Kylie. And I'm Elliot. Hi, I'm Elliot. <laughs> Hi, I'm Kylie. And we're going to talk about the movies we watched this week uh, before crowning the baddest dad and raddest dad of them all. And as always, dad is an energy and it is not a gender. So how are you doing? <laughs> I'm so tired. <laughs> I'm so tired. I'm like delirious and then like kind of silly, I think. Why are you so tired? I have been, is this the third day? Yes. I, I, it's the third day of marking provincial exams for um, English language arts. Um, all day. 8 a.m. to 4.30. It's a long day. It's a long day of marking like like things that require a lot of brain power. So I'm putting all my brain power into those hours. Then I come home and I'm like, what is thoughts? Well, it's kind of wild, too, because, correct me if I'm wrong, these are the first diplomas that have been written since the start of the pandemic. Kind of. They they ran them um, the summer of 2020. And then last year, students had to write if they were failing because it was their only chance to pass. Mm, right. Um, and I think students have been able to write them if they like needed them for upgrading and stuff like that. If they just wanted to not retake the course, but had written the diploma in the past, then they could write it and challenge their old diploma mark. But they haven't been mandatory since summer 2020. Which is wild. Like, yeah, I couldn't, I can't fathom that as somebody who went through high school and did diplomas and have that be like such a big culminating moment at the end of the year of like, 
am I going to totally blow this and (laughs) (laughs) have to like redo grade 12? Um, Yeah, it's just wild that there's kind of been layers to it since the start of the pandemic. Yeah. And like I I haven't marked them since January 2020. So it's it's exciting, but it's also like, oh, right. This is work is a lot of work. Um, But it's always really cool because like I get to meet different English teachers from throughout the province. Like it's not just people from Edmonton. Um, and you're at a table with like other markers. I have a couple people from Calgary who are at my table and a couple people from Edmonton. And you just get to have like good conversations and see what other people are teaching and how other students are writing. And it's, I think it makes me a better teacher, but it also makes me very tired in the evenings. Yeah. And I have four more days to go. <laughs> yeah. Well, to bring it back to the show, you've said that you've seen a lot of papers surprising amount of papers that are written on Sound of Metal. Yeah, I'm so happy about this. And and there may be a handful of students who are listening to this, but um, I was a little worried that there there wouldn't be people to mark their Sound of Metal essays because I teach that film, but it's it's being taught and other people are writing on it. And that's really exciting to me to see such a contemporary film with such like amazing sound design and like character development and Rizumet is fantastic in it and to know that I'm I'm not like just doing this weird thing by myself but other people that I was completely unaware of were um, compelled to start teaching that too and I've also seen a couple Minari papers um, which I teach teach it in the grade 11 level Um, but that was really exciting as well because it's such that's also such a fantastic film so very cool very cool love that Uh, yeah also just like we're recording this on a Saturday. We normally record on a Sunday. But when this episode drops, it will be my last day of work. And then I'm off on summer vacation. So exciting. Yeah. So um, silently congratulate me, people who are listening. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> or be, be jealous of the fact that I don't have to work in the summers. But um, I'm pretty excited for that. You often talk about how I become a different person in the summer. Yeah. Summer Kylie's the best. Does that mean you hate the other 10 months of me? <laughs> no, but I I love how carefree and stress-free Summer Kylie is. She's been slowly making her way out into the to the world again, have you noticed? Yeah. Yeah. I love it. Yeah, it's uh it's just a stress-free life. Cuz I know that I'll be working again in the fall and so it's not like it's not like the kind of you know when you get laid off like you have all this free time, but you feel this pressure to find a job and financial worry. And so you can't appreciate and enjoy or most people can't appreciate and enjoy that free time that they have. Um, but having like the summers off as a teacher, I just get to be like, yeah, enjoy these two months before you're back at it. It's great. I'm looking forward to it. I'm going to go on walks. I'm going to do some household repairs. We're going to go on some vacations. And I'm going to probably bother you in your home office all the time. Be like, coming out with me. <laughs> You'll be like, I got to work. And I'll be like, oh. <laughs> yeah. Um, in, in less goofy or my work related news, I'm also feeling like intermittently very sad and very angry at uh, the state of the world. Yeah. The, I have my, my heart goes out to uh, all the folks in the States um, post Roe v. Wade being overturned. I When I read that headline on Friday, I think I just put my head in my hands and I had like, I just 
I was so emotional about the whole thing. It's, it's, I, I, I still don't really have words for it. It's, uh, it's really hard. Yeah. I don't think I have anything intelligent to say right now because I'm like quite honestly devastated. And like, I, I think it almost feels a little like dystopianly surreal, despite the fact that like, why am I surprised? Um, but yeah, I'm pretty, I feel really sad. And then I feel really angry. Then I feel really sad. Then I feel really angry. So I guess in the face of not yet having the words to really say anything intelligent or thoughtful about it, I would say that if you were also feeling sad or angry or any other emotions that know that we're feeling that too and we're with you in in thought. Yeah. And yeah, it, it's tough reading all of that stuff and then reading all of this stuff about what the Supreme Court wants to tackle next. No. It's just like, I can't even fathom, you know, I, I think we're fortunate that we live in a place that that's not currently happening, <laughs> well, but I'm not no. saying like, who's to say that it will never happen? I, I like, don't think, yeah, I think it's a strong possibility it could happen here. So. Yeah. Um, but it's very scary. And the decision that was made is very dangerous. And yeah, affects a lot of people. So we just wanted to acknowledge that because yeah, it's 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 hard to not be on our minds. And I think you know, if you're listening to our show, chances are that movies mean something to you. And um, in times like this, when I'm feeling at a loss for words and feeling a little hopeless, and all of the really tough feelings that come along, especially in the immediate wake of something this huge. I find that um, finding a movie that either gives me hope or that like is just a big middle finger to stuff like this, right? Like mm -hmm. watching happening yeah, would be a great thing um, if you're in the right headspace for it or a comfort movie if you just need to escape. Like there are so many different avenues that different types of movies can um, be for me when I'm feeling these kinds of feelings. Mm -hmm. And I, I hope that... Um, they can be that for, for whoever is listening as well. Well, it's like you said, when uh, the day you found out your dad died, you wanted to watch Mean Girls because mm -hmm. it's just like that comfort food movie and it just, it brings you joy and... Yeah, I was not looking to watch a movie about a dad dying on that day. Yeah. So, yeah, find, if you're able to find any sort of peace or joy or just be able to check out for an hour and a half or two hours. Just find those pockets of time for yourself and, you know, don't, don't want to tell you what to do, but you know, it's, it's really, it's really easy to just get sucked into the vortex of social media and the discourse on there and just like living in this. Um, but yeah, try to find some time for some positivity, some find some bright spots where you can. Or the things that help like fuel the rage and the impetus to like get out and, and do something. Yeah. And to to try and push for, for these changes to, to go in, in a different direction. Right? Yeah. Movies can do both. Yep. And more. Yes. So let's talk about some of those movies that did more and less that, <laughs> that we watched this week. Uh, so the first mystery movie pick of the week was on me. And I chose the movie The Edge. It's from 1997. It's directed by Lee Tamahori 
and written by David Mamet. It is starring Sir Anthony Hopkins. I think he is a sir. Yeah. <laughs> sir. Uh, as Charles, Alec Baldwin as Bob, Harold Perrineau as Stephen, L. McPherson as Mickey, and Bart the Bear as the Bear. <laughs> uh, synopsis. Maybe rest in peace, I'm sure. Yeah, probably. Uh, synopsis, an intellectual billionaire and two other men struggle to band together and survive after getting stranded in the Alaskan wilderness with a bloodfirt, bloodthirsty, <laughs> bloodthirsty, <laughs> bloodthirsty Kodiak bear hunting them down. So I picked this because I watched this movie quite a bit as a kid. So weird. Um, and I've been wanting to show it to you. I've been wanting to rewatch it, but I've wanted, been wanting to rewatch it with you. Uh, for a number of years now, and it just hasn't happened. But I was like, all right, yeah, let's dig into it tonight. Um, this is actually one of the movies that, growing up, my aunt and my uncle were people on my mom's side, were people that really loved movies. Like my aunt owned a couple of movie theaters and managed a couple movie theaters. And then my uncle managed a blockbuster at one both at different points of their lives and then i worked at a movie theater and i worked at a blockbuster so (laughs) (laughs) um but my aunt was somebody that would share these sort of like really um kind of like nerd culture kind of movies like that are like she showed me uh like big trouble in little china and she showed me like we used to on Saturday there's this like older show called I think it was the hilarious house of Frankenstein or something like that okay it's this old like black and white show it was it was like a, a talk show with Frankenstein um, I've never heard of this yeah it, it was it was wild but like she showed me a lot of horror movies she showed me seven for the first time when you were how old uh seven <laughs> <laughs> um, probably didn't that come out in 1997 no, I think I was, I think I was like early junior high, or no, late elementary school. Um, Came out in 1995. She could have shown it to you when you were five. I feel like I was like 12, maybe. That's, yeah, that's an appropriate age. Um, But uh, yeah, this this was one of them where I, I, I had no idea what this was, but she showed this to me and like, I really, <laughs> I really loved it as a kid. Um, But yeah, what did you think of The Edge? <laughs> Yeah, this is not my type of movie. <laughs> um, I had heard of it when the when it started and it was all like misty. I was like, "Ooh, the mist," because I've never seen that. And then I was like, "Oh, it's the edge." I did figure it out, which is impressive because like this is not my kind of movie. So I didn't really know what it was about. Um, and in terms of what it is about, which is that like, you know, them in the wilderness with the bloodthirsty bear. I tend to like that more when it's in the horror genre. Like, what's that movie where they're stuck on the um, the ski lift? Frozen. Yeah, like, I like that. I remember liking that. Um, I'm sure you know, my brain is failing me right now. But there's other movies like that where there's a creature or an animal. Cujo. Cujo would be an example. Yep. Um, so I tend to like those when they're decidedly horror. Right. As opposed to, like, this more wilderness adventure type thing but that being said the stuff with the bear was really scary (laughs) like really scary so whenever it got into like that stuff i was like pretty into it everything else that they tried to do with character 
was really wah wah for me. Right, yeah. So if I'm going to see a movie that totally shits the bed on characterization in any interesting or meaningful way that isn't just totally one note that I've seen before, I'd rather see that in a horror movie. Like, I will forgive it in a horror movie because I like horror so much in a way that I'm not going to forgive it in something like this. So I understand, though, that people who just, like, love survivalist movies, they they might be the opposite, where if you don't love horror, you might be like, well, everything in horror has to be impeccable for me to like it. Mm. But I would forgive it in this other genre because I like that. Interesting. Um, so you saying that you have been wanting to show this to me for years, did it hold up? Was it... Um, was it everything you expected it to be when you were excited for me to see it? <laughs> like, I, I definitely think that I I got more joy out of it when I was younger. Because, like, it's it's really compelling, like, in from a kind of, like, a survival horror kind of kind of perspective. I mean, but those moments, those, ugh, wow, talk. Okay. Those moments are few and far between. Yeah, but I, I think I also, I really... When I was younger, I really liked Anthony Hopkins' character in that he was like, <laughs> he was like this like really smart person that had all of these like skills and like all, and like all this like thoughtfulness about that and that he could like problem solve so well. Um, <laughs> watching it now as an adult, I'm kind of like, you're you're kind of a know it all. <laughs> <laughs> and then Alec Baldwin's just a jerk. I have to say, Elliot, I am endlessly fascinated by like the weird stuff you loved as a kid like what child is watching this movie on repeat but see this is not a child's movie but do you know what this this kind of gives me like dante's peak kind of vibe oh no dante's peak when you showed that to me i was like this movie is so amazing and how have i never seen that the edge is boring (laughs) like how does a little kid find this interesting I think, yeah, like I was saying, like, I think I got, I mean, I like all the bear stuff. Like, and I do too. I, I, I did like the And bear I stuff. think, like, as a younger kid who was probably watching this when I was, like, I don't know, eight or nine, like, watching, like, the bear stuff is scary. It is. And it's well done and it, like, holds up. Yeah. Because they used a real bear. Okay. So, yeah. So <laughs> using a real bear as opposed to a CGI bear, yeah. especially oh, yeah. in 1997. Was a smart choice, yeah. Um, but I think like because it scared me, it's like that thing when you're a kid, like it scares mm-hmm. you, but you like it. Mm-hmm. So it's it, this is another kind of like s- like step towards getting into horror movies and my passion for horror movies. Um, Interesting. I do not see this as an entryway to horror movies, but I will accept that that was true for you. Well, it's the same way that like Batman the Animated Series is that too because the Joker scared me so much when I was a kid, but I liked that. I understand that so, more. So it's kind of like these little things that I really like. Can I tell you a story? Okay. You remember that one time you and me and my brother went on a hike together? hmm And like, first of all, I'm not athletic. And I don't particularly like the outdoors. Um, And so my brother was taking it, and he likes to hike was taking us on this hike that, like he said, was more beginner than it was. But I didn't really know much about hiking. And as we start hiking, he's like telling us about like what we have to do if we come across a bear. And that's why I said I wasn't capable of doing the hike, not because of the athleticism of it. Did you just kind of start having a bit of a panic attack? Yeah, I was like, 
there could be bears and they could kill us because he gave us this big like speech about like how bears are really dangerous and like you know we got to make noise and like I, I don't even remember it's like a blur in my mind um and i was just like i think that this hike is too difficult for me <laughs> I mean, it was a very it was a very difficult hike on top of that so then we then we went to an easier hike and do you remember what a bear had done over there didn't it like shit on the walkway or whatever had like diarrhea all over the walkway and like a big like skid mark like a really long one like it had like scooted <laughs> yeah. its butt, butt down and like all of the like guides who were posted around the way like every one of them wanted to tell us that they were like oh do you see what that bear did <laughs> yeah, bear shit. So that was not as scary of a bear because that bear was all poopy and stuff, <laughs> as opposed to the like hypothetical bear in our first hike that would have eaten me. <laughs> yeah. So, um, bears are scary, and I don't think I'm ever gonna go hiking again. Yeah, man, like land sharks, essentially. <laughs> you just have to run downhill because their front legs are shorter than their back legs, so they can't run downhill. <laughs> Is that true? Yeah, they have to like slide. I don't think I'd be good at. A situation where uh, a bear shows up. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, me neither. Probably. Like, I'd probably run through in my head the things that I know I'm supposed to do that I've learned you're supposed to do. And while you're running through those in your head, the bear is eating you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm already toast. Yeah, that yeah. would be uh that'd be the Elliot Cuss way. Um, there's like, there's some really good intense scenes in here and some like really really like visceral scenes here and there um but yeah like on the whole it's like it's just all right um yeah and it's you know got that really poopy speaking of poopy thing where it like is set in the mountains and so it's you know it has to throw in some indigenous stuff but in the most token meaningless to the plot and then appropriative way that it possibly can and it's just like okay well why'd yeah. you even bother because that's that ha while the bear stuff is held up that has not no like right away too like Elle McPherson is like doing a shoot where she like dresses up in indigenous stuff that clearly is not even really indicative of what indigenous folks would or have worn and she's like I'm cold <laughs> and it's like ugh this yeah. movie is already losing points no not great it is cool though and i always found it cool that it was shot in alberta yeah um so like that's kind of cool i like, guess yeah it's shot in the mountains yeah a part of it was shot in edmonton we saw it when we watched through the credits a part of it was shot at the kinsman sports center i've been there that's where it was shot it said the underwater stuff was like the at, water stuff was shot at the kinsman at the kinsman that's you, have you been there uh you know where it is, though. I do. I haven't been there. Oh, no. I definitely have. So, like, that's kind of cool. Yeah, Anthony Hopkins, his character of Charles is, like, as an adult watching this, like I said, like, he's kind of annoying. Like, he's a, <laughs> he's a bit of a know-it-all. I Like, it's kind of, and it's funny, too, because he kind of becomes, while I think he annoys the, like, other people he's with, he also is, like, the de facto decision maker. Like, they go to him for everything. They're like, Charles, what do we do? What Char do we do next, Charles? Charles? you're in charge. <laughs> Charles and Judge. Um, it, it was fine. Like, this was fine. I, and you, so here's a, here's a thing. The four, like, main players in this, I just see as other people. Like, I, 
I can't really see Anthony Hopkins as anything other than Hannibal Lecter. Mm. So when he's doing things that are supposed to be like intelligent or whatever, they just kind of come across as creepy to me. Where it's like, <laughs> yeah. oh, yeah, so you use a stick to make a fire. And I'm like, to eat Alec Baldwin? <laughs> <laughs> and then Alec Baldwin, I just see as a total douchebag. Yeah. And it's, so I love Beetlejuice, but like he looks like a different person in Beetlejuice. Like he just. He's a total babe in Beetlejuice. He's a total babe. He hadn't really like filled out into his man self yet. And um, so I can, I can almost like visually just think of him as a different person in Beetlejuice. But when I see him in this, I'm just like, oh yeah, you're that guy that I don't like very much. Yeah. And then Elle McPherson, I just see as like Joey's girlfriend who was kind of crappy and hated Monica and Chandler. Yeah. Or hated Monica. Yeah. And then uh, Steven's just like the Matrix. Yeah. So I yeah. was just, I just kept like seeing those other versions of these actors or people and. Um, From better movies. Yeah. And I think part of it's because this, this movie didn't do enough with the characterization for me to see them as anything else other than what I've seen them as before. Because it kind of drops us in. We have very quick exposition and then we're into the survivalist stuff. And like, I just didn't care about the human story, the like the L. McPherson of it all mm-hmm. enough because they hadn't done enough legwork for me to care. I felt. Yeah. And yeah, I think that that's just, they want to, they just want to get him into the woods. <laughs> but it like in, in the same vein, you think about a movie that gives me like similar sort of feelings, but I do like more Dante's peak. Like they spend a good amount of time setting up our characters. Yeah. Before the volcano erupts. <laughs> and I, a movie that we're going to talk about later, I feel like does a really good job of that. Yes. And and we'll get there. Yeah. Um. All right. So how'd the edge make you feel? It it did sometimes make me feel on edge. Yeah. Perfect. So I was, <laughs> right? Appropriate. So I was kind of like vacillating between like, oh, oh my goodness, like in all the moments with the bear and then being like, I'm really bored. Like it was just, it was kind of one or the other for me. Um, so there were actually moments of it I really liked, and I'm glad that I've seen it. But I will unequivocally never watch this again. Yeah, I don't think that I'll. I don't think I'll watch this again either. Maybe when I'm like really old, I'm like, oh, throw on that bear movie. <laughs> I'll, I'll need to be dead at that point, or like taking a bath or something. <laughs> oh, Kylie was so bored by this one, but she didn't like to hike. <laughs> Why are we southern? <laughs> I imagine that when I'm old, I'll be southern. I'm gonna take a bath. You watch that bear movie. <laughs> wow, our futures are uh, interesting. They burnt the bears on screen. I love them so much. Speaking of interesting, uh, the next movie. Yeah. Hit me with it. So uh, I got to pick and I picked the 2015 movie The Lure, which has a Polish name that I'm not going to attempt to say. Um, So this movie was directed by Agnieszka Smolzinska and written by Robert Balesto. It is starring Kinga Prees, Michelin Olzanska, Marta Mazurka, Jacob Gerzel, and Andrzej Kanopka. Hey, that's, that's pretty, pretty good. good. Um, the synopsis is two mermaid sisters who end up performing at a nightclub face cruel and bloody choices when one of them falls in love with a beautiful young man. So I kind of had two movies on my radar to pick. 
And I, they were both a good run length for a weeknight. And I, I didn't really, I wasn't really keen on one or the other. Like I wanted to watch them both, but I, I wasn't leaning one way or the other. So I said to you, do you want to watch something weird or do you want to watch something sad? And you said. I think I said I want to watch something sad. You did. And so I was like, great. I'm going to buy the sad movie because it's nowhere for free. And you went up to me. I think I said, like, are you interested in making popcorn or something like that? I don't know if you did make popcorn. No. You brought me down some old Dutch twisties. Popcorn twists. Popcorn twists. Um, So while you did that, I went to go buy the sad movie and it was only available dubbed. And I was like, yeah, I'm not paying $10 for a dubbed movie. And so then we defaulted to weird. And um, what did you think? Was it weird? It it was weird, but in a good way. Uh, I didn't know what to expect. I I had never heard of this movie, so I had no context for it. Didn't know what to expect. Um, it was weird. It was wild, but it was fun. <laughs> like it was, <laughs> like I did not expect. I had yeah, I had no expectations. So <laughs> the things that was thrown at me, it was just like, oh, like this is. I mean, it's The Little Mermaid. Yeah, to provide a little bit more context to that synopsis done does, it is an adapta- adaptation of Hans Christian Andersen's The Little Mermaid. Yeah. Which then you'll see shades of Disney's The Little Mermaid because that is adapted from the original story. Um, but it definitely is leaning more towards the original story's adaptation. So it adapts that story, but sets it in the 1980s. And then it's a musical and a horror film. Yeah. I mean, first of all, like the thing that sticks with me the most are the mermaid effects. They were good. They were very good. And they were gross. Very gross. Because like you have this, I feel like we all kind of just because of pop culture, the vision that we most of us have for mermaids are like the really like gorgeous scaled uh, fish tail with like the two fins at the end. Yeah. But these mermaids had like eel tails. And they were six feet long. Six feet long. So it, they were huge. Like yeah. they were they were longer than the top half of the person. And then the two the two actors who play um Golden and Silver are their English names. And and they don't they aren't golden and silver in Polish, but I'm gonna stick with those because I don't want to subject the rest of you to hearing me try to say Serena and oh Serena's Lotta and Serena Srebna. Srebrna. I like I said, I'm not gonna subject <laughs> and, you to this. Well, I'm, <laughs> I'm not gonna keep doing it. I'm gonna just say golden and silver. Um because clearly I can't do the other one that well, even though I am trying. Um they're beautiful actors. Mm-hmm. Like really, really beautiful. Um and they and they appear really young and I think that's supposed to make us uncomfortable. Like the fact mm-hmm. that like they're they are topless for much of the film. Yeah. And sometimes bottomless. But their bottomlessness is interesting, to say the least. Yeah. Yep. Like I don't want to say much more about that. But again, like this is the thing. It like it keeps like when you think it starts going right, it veers left. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, it has this. I'm gonna get a little academic y here because when I finished this movie, I wasn't like, oh my goodness, that's my favorite movie I've ever seen. In fact, I think if it had leaned more horror and like just taken the musical aspect out entirely, it may have been one of my favorite movies I've ever seen. Yeah, the musical aspect was like just okay. But for somebody 
wow, this must be their favorite movie. If they love musicals and they love horror and they love like weird mermaid stuff, this was just like a trifecta. For totally. Them. Um, and so I get that like that, that just wasn't what the director was going for was like full on horror. Um, but the one thing when it was over, I was like, I just feel like this would make such a good university paper. Like there's so much to dig into here because it's a yeah. very smart movie. It's a very purposeful movie. And I liked it a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, and so one of the things that like I was thinking of on my own and like before I went and looked at other stuff and then I looked at other stuff that said it much more smartly than me was that that grossness of the mermaid tales and that kind of subversion of what we typically think of when we think of mermaids combined with how beautiful golden and silver are mm-hmm. um, both their top halves when they are mermaids and um, they're they're just human like selves when their tails aren't there um, creates this really profound juxtaposition of beauty and monstrosity. Mm-hmm. The, the the beautiful and the monstrous. Um, and so I saw on a couple different websites. So I saw on Wikipedia, just a little uh, quick summary of themes there, where the director said that um, she was wanting to look at kind of different allegorical ways to think of the mermaids um, and that she wanted to represent innocence while at the same time showing like the maturing female body and how it can disgust people and how like she said the odor and slime recalls menstruation, ovulation, body starting to smell and feel different. Mm-hmm. So that's really interesting coming from the director herself. And then David Ehrlich of IndieWire said the mermaid's bodies are, quote, a source of constant fascination and that the Lure is having some fun with chauvinistic objectification. The film has a funny habit of lambasting dumb, mis- dumb misogynistic rhetoric by applying it literally. Yeah. <laughs> and then uh, this That's I loved great. the most on my my Letterboxd review of this was just, I want to write a university paper on this. And a user um, under the name uh, Mikkel, I'm going to say, um, responded with, I did that and I got an A. <laughs> mm. um, and then they actually had he had some of his review in his letterboxed or his, his some of his paper was in his letterboxed review. And I want to read part of it here because I really liked it as well. So part of his review says the mermaids as presented in the lure are shown to be inherently nonconformist and gender fluid, able to flow as naturally as ocean waves between bodies and binary gender identities. Because of this fact, they're also able to eschew the common trappings of sexualization as enforced by the heteronormative male gaze. While their mermaid bodies are readily sexual available, but unappealing in the eyes of the patriarchal beholder, their human bodies evoke a cis-feminine purity, heteronormativity lusts after, and yet they are completely and unequivocally inaccessible. Fascinating. So there's so much here that, like, even if you, if you're interested in, like, exploration of the body through horror or through sci-fi or through just, like, different genre films, this is a must-see. Yeah. And it's so, so fascinating. It is a highly sexual movie mm-hmm. at times in like a really discomforting way. Um, there's a lot of nudity. There's some really interesting sex scenes. Um, but I think it has a lot to say about bodies, about socialized gender dynamics, and about how like sex plays a role in that. Um, and I found it just endlessly fascinating. Yeah. It was. It was it was very interesting. It was very interesting. It was very unique. Like I, I feel like I haven't seen very many movies like this. Like this, it's kind of weird 
because it's not like this at all, but in my mind, I kind of was likening it to Climax a little bit. Oh, interesting. Um, and Climax is like, they're, they're really not like each <laughs> no. other at all, but like. Is it just a feeling or? Yeah, like just like something in me. I'm just like, I'm getting like Climax vibes a little bit. And I, I, I don't know why. Like maybe there's just like something about the characters or ab- about like the approach or. I, you know, so a, a word just came to my mind that I feel like I would apply to, to both like Gaspar Noe's Climax and to this. And that's frenetic. Yeah. Like where it's just like things are happening and they're happening and they're happening and they're happening and it's like, whoa, right? Like, and you you almost are like trying to find the thread of the story within that. And yet that's deeply on purpose. Yeah. Like it's not just like it's an incoherent mess of a movie. It's like all of that constant um, movement and things going on and like switching between scenes and characters because that happens a lot here too. And then all of a sudden people are singing and then they're not and um creates this sense of like incoherence and um just like discombobulation that i think is purposeful yeah i think that yeah i think that that's it like there's just like a lot of output and it's (laughs) like how do i take that in yeah (laughs) um because yeah like i mean like i like i said like i was kind of constantly thrown for a loop of like okay, we're doing this. And then, oh, it's like this. And then, oh, it's a musical. And <laughs> the, the, you know. and it's more of a musical in like the, um, like, okay. it reminded me of the musical episode of Buffy the Bad Parser. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> like that's a, I don't know how many people are going to understand that who are listening, but it was a musical in that way. We're like, like, they're just like songs. They're yeah. like songs you might hear somebody playing at like an open mic night. They're not like, it's not like let it go. <laughs> no, no, it's not. Um, when it did go horror, though, I loved it. It was done really well. Yeah, it was cool. It was really like I feel like this kind of does to mermaids what a girl walks home alone at night does to vampires. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I and like I that. dug that. Like mm-hmm. it's really cool. Like I, I really liked this movie. Yeah, I didn't love it. It's not my favorite movie ever, but I really liked it, and it made me want like more feminist mermaid horror films. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. All right, there's there's something like gross and amazing and like just really awesome about yes. Yeah. <laughs> um, it is on Criterion Collection. Yeah. Um, would yeah. you want to own it on Criterion? Why not? All right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The cover isn't like so Criterion cool the way like the new Sound of Metal one is, mm-hmm. but it is good. It's, like, it's a good cover. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, so it was weird. I I have been wanting to watch this for a while. Um, I was actually really surprised that you'd never heard of it. And so then it was really exciting when you got to see what the mermaids like looked like for the first time because I had seen um, stills of the movie and I knew. And uh, it was pretty fun to to watch you be like, oh, and they're singing. Oh, and there's horror and all of that. Um, but overall, how did the lure make you feel? I mean, I was just stoked on the artistry of subverting a classic story, mm-hmm. like, and just doing their own thing with it. So, like everybody involved in the movie and just like fully embracing and leaning into the weird and that, and that weirdness leading to something that's so unique and, and cool and just like an experience, mm. um, but yeah, like I really enjoyed myself with with this one. I agree with you. Like, it's not my favorite thing that I've ever seen, but 
in the scheme of horror-ish mermaid movies. This is like, this is up in the, the top. In the scheme of musical 1980s horror movie re- re-envisionings of The Little Mermaid, pretty good. Yeah, number one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this movie made me feel like grossed out in the best way and weirded out in the best way. And like, what more can you ask for? Totally. Yeah. All right, I'm really excited to talk about this next <laughs> one. So, um, kind of in the spirit of coming hot off of Hedwig and the Angry Inch and School of Rock last week. And the lore and that thing you do. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> very musical. Um, I wanted to give the old rewatch to Josie and the Pussycats from 2001. <laughs> uh, it was directed by Harry Elfont and Deborah Kaplan. Uh, written- Elfont? Elfont? I have Elfin. Elfin? Yeah. Well, double check that. I'll keep rattling off some of these writers. So there was also Richard Goldwater, who was one of the people that came up with the characters, as well as Dan DiCarlo and John L. Goldwater. Just my autocorrect. It's Elfont. <laughs> I got it. Um, It stars Rachel Lee Cook as Josie, Rosario, Dar- <laughs> Rosario Dawson as Valerie, Tara Reed as Steven. Steven? <laughs> <laughs> nope. Tara Reed as Steven. <laughs> I think that that was left over from, <laughs> from the from the edge. I just copied and pasted it. Man, just... You are just like so close to the edge and about to break. <laughs> Jeez. <laughs> um, what was Tara Reed's character? Melody. <laughs> right. Not Steven. Man, I like that. My brain is just like, okay, read the word that is there. And <laughs> it's incorrect. Um, Gabriel Mann as Alan M. Or a.k.a. the sexiest guy in Riverdale. Uh, Alan Cumming as Wyatt. And Parker Posey as Fiona. The synopsis. A girl group find themselves in the middle of a conspiracy to deliver subliminal messages through popular <laughs> music. <laughs> um <laughs> So, yeah, why I wanted to watch this, uh, we actually, I think we mentioned it last week, uh, just in passing on our episode, and I've kind of been thinking about it since then, and haven't watched this in a really long time, so I wanted to give it, you know, see if it stood the test of time, the test of time, because the one thing that was the big takeaway when I originally saw this so long ago was that essentially the music here is just a series of bangers all in a row, <laughs> mm-hmm. the music in the, <laughs> in this movie totally rocks um what do you think of Josie and the Pussycats <laughs> okay so it's funny because you said to me I don't know if you've seen this and I'm like once I realized what it was yeah I've seen this multiple times um and I I couldn't tell you the last time I saw it I think I saw it in the theater um and then I think I saw it many times after that but as it was happening it just all came back to me no oh, yeah like clearly I have seen it many many times because if you had asked me before you press play what happens in the 2001 film Josie and the Pussycats, I would have been like, I have no idea. Rosario Dawson's in it. And then as <laughs> soon as it started playing, I knew all the songs. I was singing along. Um, yeah. the, I have to just start with that opening scene. Like the opening sequence before the title card is one of the most hilarious scenes in the existence of cinema. This it all, is so funny. All the stuff with DuJour. Yeah, and I love Seth Green. Mm-hmm. And I think Brecken Meyer is really funny. Who else is in... Donald oh, Faison. Yeah, Turk. Yeah. And, <laughs> and some guy. Yeah, I don't know. Who the other guy is. 
Yeah, with their song Backdoor Lover. <laughs> yeah. Oh my goodness. It just is so so evokes the like late ti- 1990s, early 2000s boy bands whose songs were like so obviously incredibly dirty and sexual and like it's <laughs> like preteen girls are singing them and and everybody <laughs> else too. Um, Liquid Dreams, is that what yeah, the yeah. O-Town song O-Town. was called? <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. So it seemed very, it's just like both so over the top and almost satirical and yet also it's just true though. Oh, yeah. Like B44, Get Down. Yeah. Like, it, you know what it, you know what it's about, but for like the young people listening to it, they don't necessarily know what it's no, about. No, and they're just singing it, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just catchy and boppy. And and I have and the song like Backdoor Lover is catchy and boppy. Yeah. And it sounds like a Backstreet Boys song. Um, so funny. I loved the soundtrack when I was a preteen. And like as like I think I just like listened to it all the time. Um and interestingly, when we were watching the credits, we saw that the fellow who did a lot of the music for that thing you do was involved in the music for this. Yeah, I'm a singer from, like, from uh, uh, Fountains of uh, Wayne. Yeah, Fountains Stacey's of Wayne. Stacy's mom, baby. They they sing Flagpole Sitta too though, don't they? No, who does that? I don't know. Anyway, ignore me. You talk about this movie. Yeah, so I've seen this movie oh, quite that's a Harvey bit. Danger. <laughs> Silly goose. I watched this movie quite a bit um, when I was younger. Uh, I liked it too. Like I thought it was just it, it was another one of those movies that's just like really easy to watch and really fun and ridiculous. I also had a really big crush on Rachel Lee Cook. When I was younger. I don't think I knew that. Yeah. But what, but what else was she from that you would have had a crush on her in just this? She's all that. <laughs> oh, my goodness. <laughs> a freaking course. Uh, I don't like that movie. I mean, I thought she was cute when in that movie when she was nerdy and when she was like <laughs> post. Wow. Post what makeover. a feminist. I know. Right. No big deal. <laughs> um, but I, I, yeah, I, I thought she was uh, I thought she was really cute and I had a little crush on her when I was in like grade five grade do you six. still have a crush on her i think like she's cute but n- no <laughs> do you know who from this movie i had a crush on when i was in grade five or six and i still have a crush on mm. alan cumming <laughs> <laughs> i mean nothing against alan cumming but no <laughs> go on rosario dawson oh yeah of course the og crush yeah she's She's a babe, and I think I feel like you made this comment when we were watching this. Um, but I don't know. Either way, I feel the same. That I feel like Rosario. She does a lot of movies, but she doesn't do a lot of great movies. And I wish she was in more really awesome movies. Like I think my favorite yeah. thing I've seen her in uh, is Death Proof. Oh, I love Death Proof. Yeah, and she's in a lot of like she, you know, like her role in the um, Netflix MCU shows was like so interesting, but so small. Yeah, and like you know what we've seen of her in um, the Mandalorian, also interesting but small. Like I feel like she crops up a lot, and I'm always like, yeah, Rosario. And she was cute in Clerks too. Like I liked her there. I don't super remember that movie, but like yes, I'm sure that's true. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel yeah, I I like follow her on social media and stuff because I just get I yeah. I get excited to see her when she yeah, pops agreed. up. Agreed. But like I've never. Not never, but like there's been very few movies where 
I don't know. I feel like she's really good and she deserves to be like a leading person in a movie. And that doesn't come up very often. Interestingly, though, of those three of the three pussycats, Rachel Lee Cook, Tara Reid and Rosario Dawson, she's the only one really still consistently doing work. It's true. That I'm aware of. Yeah. Um, Tara or Tara. I'm not sure which one is Tara. Tara Reid. Like she's from American Pie. Correct. Yeah. Or the American Pie movies. Um, and I mean, that hasn't really been a thing for a long time. Rachel Lee Cook is in one of my favorite movies of all time. Strike. Yeah, Strike. Yeah. So good. Yeah, that that's another one. But but you didn't, did you didn't watch that as a kid, did you? Not as a kid, when I was a little bit older. But she, Oh, really? She, like you saw that before I showed it to you? Yeah. I love that movie. Is she cute in that too? <laughs> <laughs> what do you think of her hair in this movie in retrospect? Uh, Man, every all the fashion of this just reeks of the early 2000s it's hard for me yeah because this was i guess because this is such a focus on female fashion from the early 2000s oh like i had that hair yeah and it's 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 hard for me because it's so clearly is terrible like the fashion is so clearly awful yeah and the hairstyles are so clearly awful and yet like watching it and knowing that we thought it was really cool (laughs) Yeah. It's just really embarrassing. Yeah. What do you think of the whole like conspiracy of it all element? Like, what do you mean? Like all of the like the central plot of like this isn't Josie and the Pussycats in like a Archie Comics way. This is Josie and the Pussycats like by way of Austin Powers. Yeah, like I feel like it kind of it it's tied to Archie being in that Josie and the Pussycats are from Riverdale. This, and that's mo- about it. this movie very quickly wants to get them out of Riverdale. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, like I think I think this movie's great because it makes fun of it. It's not afraid to make fun of itself. No, and it just makes fun. Like I I can't remember what it was, but you read me a review of somebody that's like just getting all hoity-toity about how they're. The whole plot is that they're trying to get these subliminal messages into teenagers' minds to buy certain clothes or have like uh, use certain brands or engage with certain brands or whatever. But there's so much brand placement and product placement throughout the whole movie outside of that. Mm-hmm. And they were just like, it's 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 not even practicing what it's preaching. It's like, but that's it, it's doing that on purpose. Like it's yeah, it's making fun of itself. I also read a great review on Letterbox that was like, I love how this movie simultaneously. And this isn't word for word, but like simultaneously convinced me that like down with capitalism, like don't like what's popular. And yet also I was blasting that soundtrack all the time. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> <You know? laughs> um, so it's having its cake and it's eating it too. Um, very impressively. Yeah. Here's my question to you. Is this a movie to like ironically or is this a movie that one likes genuinely? Mm, I I like it genuinely. Okay. Like I... I wanted to watch something that I knew I liked and would have fun rewatching. It was fun. It was and, really fun. Yeah. It's and so like, goofy. It's so goofy. And like I remember this kind of came out um around the time ish that I had just started playing guitar. So oh. I was like looking up the tabs for <laughs> some of these Josie <laughs> the Pussycat songs. Elliot playing Josie at the Pussycat. Oh, it's so Did you good. try and play any of Alan M's songs? No, screw that guy. Whatever. He's the sexiest man in Riverdale. Oh. Sexiest guy in Riverdale. Well, he should stay in Riverdale. Um, you probably didn't like him because he was competing for your crush on Rachel E. Cook. Probably. Get out of here. 
Um, yeah, like, uh, no, I, I genuinely like this movie. Okay. You? I think so. I th- you know, it's interesting because it kind of, it, um, it has Parker Posey in it. And something that I think it's kind of doing is it has a similar sense of like humor and sense of self as the, um, the movies that she's in. Who's the guy that makes them? That like Eugene Levy's in all of them, and he's he has a little cameo in this too, like the Waiting for Guffman, yeah. Best in Show. Um, oh my God, I'm totally. This spacing. is Final Tap. Those movies. It's Jamie Lee Curtis's husband. Yeah. Oh, Christopher Guest. Thank you. Oh man. Yeah. Um, it has like a similar kind of sense of self and humor, and like built-in satire that's like so shockingly just like dry and like it's almost to the point where you're like is it bad or is it genius it's so right f- it's so funny that you say that because as you said that i was also kind of thinking that she she's in those she's in this but she's also in scream three and like the that's the whole thing in the scream series is, is scream three the one where they're filming they're yeah and it's like in hollywood and it's like the real people interacting with the actors because she plays Gail Weathers in right, right, the, right, right. In the yeah. stab movie. Right. Um, so she really likes obviously like playing with these sort of satirical, but like self-aware yeah. genre movies. Yeah. I mean, so it kind of felt like one of those, one of Christopher Guest's movies, but like for a younger audience. Yeah. Which like watching it in retrospect, I'm like, wow, preteen me was smart. <laughs> preteen yeah. me liked cool satirical stuff <laughs> I don't know that that's true I think preteen me was just like these songs are kind of like Avril Lavigne <laughs> yeah yeah I like them on my discman but like uh, yeah as an adult you know, there's like there's, there's smart stuff in here there is to smart appreciate stuff in as, there. as an adult and yet a real goofy way of going about all that smart stuff and yet it's doing that on purpose it's pretty great. Yeah. De jure means being goofy on purpose. <laughs> De jure means so many things. De jure <laughs> means seatbelts. <laughs> De jure means grass positions. Oh, my goodness. I love that little cam skis from, from my my other OG crush, Seth Green. So good. Um, so good. Yeah, this movie is, you know, it's just a shame they didn't keep going with them. Oh, you wanted, like, you wanted more. Why not? It would have been, what would have been what would have been really great is if the show Riverdale was <laughs> actually was actually good and then it was <laughs> stayed stayed on and then it started riding the multiverse wave that oh. everything is right now bring in these Josian because there's a Josian and Pussycats in Riverdale yes but bring in these ones from this universe yeah that'd be sick yeah um is that show still on I don't think so. Whatever, forget it. Okay, I will. <laughs> um, but these jokes, the OG Josie and the Pussycats, how did it make you feel? It made me really nostalgic because I had like basically completely forgotten about how I felt about this movie. And then as I'm watching it, I like feel my 11 year old self being like kind of giddy about it and really liking it. And I can just envision myself singing along to these songs in my bedroom and trying to get my hair to flip out like Josie's and that like not flip out as in like you know what I mean like yeah to have the little flips in it um and then and then as that nostalgia is happening I'm feeling like a little embarrassed by it but then like 
also this real softness for my 11 year old self so <laughs> it's just an experience of like revisiting yeah just completely different time in my life with like baby innocent version of me who just liked this movie yeah early 2000s was a weird yeah time. and it was a weird time to be a preteen because being a preteen is friggin' hard yeah and then you're doing it when like it's the worst fashion of the world that sucks yeah like I feel like I don't know. I, I feel like everybody says this, like their preteen teenage years, like, oh my god, the way I dress, the way I look, the trends that were there. Like but like I I don't know. I feel I feel like the the Gen Z like kinda has it figured out. Like they're infinitely cooler than we ever were. That's yeah, like that's just it. Like I don't get the vibe that like they're stupid and they look stupid. Like, they, were we stupid and looked stupid? I think so. In <laughs> <laughs> my friggin' like uh, rip zone jeans that are so huge <laughs> and hanging off my ass. Your frosted tips. Yeah, like my single earring. Like, I just like, you were cool. Uh, like, yeah. My northern, <laughs> my northern getaway spice mice shirts and cat street boys. Yeah, I was cool. Yeah, um, but. Yeah, I'm I'm kind of similar. Like, there's a bit of that wave of nostalgia, but this movie just makes me happy, and mm. I'm glad that it's uh, not a total train wreck. Rewatching it now, and it's still fun, and still has all the great music, and all the great music, and a bunch of cuties, bunch of cuties, tons of cuties. All right, uh, last movie of the week. I'm so excited to talk about this. Yeah, Oof. and I'm glad that we're excited to talk, to talk about this. Because I was I was a bit nervous about you this. You were nervous. One. Nervous. All right. So last movie of the week, we saw it in the theater. We went and saw The Black Phone, which did just come out, but apparently it's a 2021 movie. Wah, wah. Oh, it got pushed. Like it so was, why is it did it was it at like festivals and stuff in 2021? I don't know if it was in festivals, but I think it played some because of the pandemic, it got pushed. <sighs> anyway, it makes me sad when it's not counting towards my 2022 stats on Letterboxd, but that's okay. I digress. So we went and saw The Black Phone, which just came out. It is directed by Scott Derrickson. It is written by Scott Derrickson and C. Robert Cargill, and it is based on a short story by Joe Hill, who is the son of Stephen King. Mm. Um, it is starring Ethan Hawke as the grabber, um, and then a bunch of like new child talent that really rocks it. So Mason Thames as the protagonist Finney, Madeline, Madeline McGraw as his sister Gwen, Jeremy Davies as Mr. Shaw, and uh, that's their dad, and uh, James Ransom as Max. Um, the synopsis, if you haven't heard of this movie, is after being abducted by a child killer and locked in a soundproof basement, a 13-year-old boy starts receiving calls on a disconnected phone from the killer's previous victims. Mm. I was so excited for this. Mm-hmm. Um, especially when like the reviews started coming in and people were liking it. Now, as it's kind of out a little bit more, it seems to really go one way or the other. Mm -hmm. So why don't you start with telling me how you think, what you, what you think about it? Um, before I get into that, I just want to kind of touch on our movie theater experience that we had. Because <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. it was just, it was just, it's just kind of stinky. stinky and dumb. Yeah. Um, so yeah, like. With movie theaters now, you buy your ticket and it's essentially all reserved seats now. But we had this, so so stupid. So 
we had our seats and we went and we sat in them. And <laughs> we had our seats and we sat in them. Good. Yeah. So the and we were in the back and the whole back row, you said you took a look in the the seating chart and yeah. all the seats were filled. I have so much anxiety that I like I'm the person who looks up the menu before we get to the restaurant and like picks what I want. So I like look to see if we're gonna be sitting by strangers. And yeah. and the whole back row was people had bought tickets. Yeah. So we're sitting there and then this other couple comes along and they're like, oh, I think that you're in one of our seats. But that wasn't the case. And I panicked and was just like, we're in the wrong seats and made you, well, you stayed in your spot and I just moved to the other side of you. And then they sat right next to me. But that left only one seat on the end. And we, we actively knew that the seat that you were sitting in Initially. what? Well, the seat that you were currently sitting in after moving was not your seat. Correct. And that I had been in the correct seat before. Yeah. So the movie Starts. is starting and and we're both kind of like, I, I start doing my thing of just internalizing and you're like, this is I start the doing right- my thing of externalizing. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I'm like, we're not in the right seats. We got to move. I think those people coming up the aisle are going to come sit in these seats and we're going to have to move. Do you want to just tell those people that we need to move? And then you're just like, ah. Uh, yeah. I'm just like, how am I going to get a whole row of people to move? And the movie started. So yeah. am I like, what? how am I going to handle this? <laughs> um, and like, I'm just like, like, handle it. Like, I'm just like, I do not want to take on the responsibility for moving like 20 people <laughs> so it was not 20 people it looked like 20 people was, with my double vision it was four people <laughs> it was four people um so but yeah eventually people came and they're like hey <laughs> you're in our spots <laughs> so i just like turned to the people next to me and i'm like hey uh these are actually our spots and there's two people that need to sit here so everybody needs to move down can you pass this message along? <laughs> and it worked. Yeah, everybody just kind of like passed it down the line. And yeah. You know, and stereotypical Canada. I, I don't agree with this stereotype most of the time, but every single person said sorry. <laughs> like the person, the person whose seat I was sitting in was like, I'm so sorry. And I'm like, why? I'm sitting in your seat. Like, yeah. don't apologize to me. Uh, really who should have apologized is the OG folks who were in the wrong seats who like didn't seem to care whatsoever. I think they were intentionally in the wrong seats. Yeah, not the dinkies that not not they, they weren't dinkies. The people <laughs> that asked us to move weren't dinkies and it wasn't their fault. It was the people next to them who were in the, clearly in the wrong seats and like decided to have also have like a coat seat or a bag seat that wasn't available. Yeah. <laughs> so um yeah they they gummed up the whole works um but we we fixed it but it did mean that we were in that hullabaloo for the entire opening scene of the movie and i really don't know what happened yeah it has like something with baseball yeah the movie has a cold open and we didn't see it it's still cold (laughs) (laughs) it is frozen for us um but okay so that happened and we got into the movie um that could have ruined the experience totally I mean, so credit to the film that it didn't. Yes. So Scott Derrickson, he of movies, movies that I've seen. um, Doctor Strange. Doctor Strange. Emma, the exorcism of Emily Rose, which I saw another like 
I'll tell this just like really quick story. I saw this on opening night, Exorcism of oh, really? Emily Rose in, in the Leduc Theater before I worked there. And um, there was about halfway through the movie, the film shut off and the house lights came on and the owner of the theater had to like come and like yell at a bunch of people to get out. Why? Were they just being... I think it was like it was opening night and there's a bunch of teenagers being doinks. Yeah. Um, So yeah, that's like a very vivid memory because like he eventually became my boss and he he was just like reaming out these kids in front of a packed theater on a Friday night. Um, So that was wild. I have a very vivid story about the exorcism of Emily Rose. And so we may never get to talking about the black phone, but this is a good one. (laughs) Um, I hope my sister isn't listening. But I remember uh, my one sister got married when or was like getting married when I was 17, 18. Um, and she lived in Red Deer at the time, which is about an hour away from where we live. And she was going wedding dress shopping. And uh, if you know anything about me, do I like that kind of stuff? Yeah. I hate planning. I hate, I hate shopping. I hate shopping with other, I don't like doing much. <laughs> I, like, <laughs> I like watching movies with you. Um, and so, I, you know, my mom and my other sister and me, had come out to go wedding dress shopping with her. And uh, as we're leaving, my soon-to-be brother-in-law and some of his friends are watching a movie, and it's The Exorcism of Emily Rose. And I catch a little bit of it, and I asked if I could stay and watch the movie instead. And I got yelled at so badly (laughs) for asking that. (laughs) Like, how dare I ask to stay with the boys and watch a horror movie? And uh, and then I think I was just a sullen teen while we were wedding dress shopping, and uh, that not that might not be true, but I, I then I I then went and watched that movie by myself after. That would have been a way better time. Yeah, I wasn't allowed because I'm a girl and girls go wedding dress shopping. <laughs> and boys get to stay home and watch horror movies. Yeah. Um, so that's why we both have interesting <laughs> Emily Rose <laughs> stories. Um, and then the last movie that we've seen is Sinister. And we yeah. saw that more recently. I think we watched that like yeah, last year. Yeah, it was because like there was all of these like sponsored ads on like websites being like Sinister is the scariest horror movie of all time based on a study that said it like made your blood pressure rise the most or something <laughs> oh, like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we watched it. And I will say the first three quarters of that is freaking scary. The opening scene itself is it's one of the really most scary. haunting things I've ever yeah, seen. Yeah, and like the found footage stuff in that is actually some of the most haunting stuff I've ever seen in my life. Yeah, it's great. But then it goes real silly. It goes like insidious level silly. And like you and I talk about Bagul all the time now. Yeah. Or I like to talk about Bagul. Bagul. Um, but, but there was a lot of promise in Sinister and people who love it, I get why. And there was Ethan Hawke. And, and he was great. In that, I, I, I just really like Ethan Hawke. I really like Ethan Hawke too, a lot. Yeah, I was so I'm with you. I was excited for this movie because of Ethan Hawke, but also like the reviews started coming in that it was good. But I was a little bit nervous about this movie, like I was saying, because watching the trailer for it, there the main aspect of it I was really excited about, but there was some stuff that kind of gave me a little bit of sinister, the things I didn't like about Sinister Vibe. Mm-hmm. So I was nervous that that was going to start bleeding in and just kind of like, kind of giving a similar Sinister experience. Um, no, this was awesome. Yeah, it's it's really different than Sinister Exorcism of Emily Rose because those are, 
I feel like those are horror that like are for horror folks, whereas this felt more like entry level horror. Mm-hmm. Like this feels like the movie, like an it, like a new, a little, like a newer it. The there's a, a little it. scarier than it. Like it's like yeah. you saw Stranger Things, you saw it. You're ready to try something a little more scary, but not too much more scary. Yeah, you know. So so yeah, in that kind of realm, and not like like sinister, I would not call entry level horror. No, it kind of turns that by the end, but the first bit of it is like genuinely super scary. Um, so this is, it's not, if you're somebody who doesn't like that more PG-13 horror, you might not like this. Because it is, like, I, I also would equate it to, like, The Visit in terms of, like, the level of horror it has. Yeah. Um, that's, like, really good for somebody who's just, like, starting to get into horror. Or folks like us who still like that kind of horror. Yeah. Because, I mean, the whole, like, there's there's like a couple of peripheral plot points and sequences that aren't necessarily as strong as the rest of the movie, but like the idea of that's in the synopsis of kids being kidnapped and which which is Joe Hill's idea and held in a basement and then like you're adding like this extra supernatural kind of level on top mm-hmm. of it like that's super haunting and very upsetting and like Ethan Hawke as the grabber oh, plays so it so well. Good. He's very creepy. And just adds like even like a, a larger level of discomfort and fear and all of these other things. Yeah, he freaking crushed it. If they want to make a prequel about the grabber and then and turn that into like the for the initiated horror person, I am there. Yeah, that'd be interesting. Like they want to do a hostile level the grabber movie, I'm there. Yeah. Um Interesting. I read a little thing that Ethan Hawke was really hesitant about making this because he didn't want to like be seen as a villain. And then he was like, who am I kidding? I'm like past my acting prime. If I'm going to play villains, I guess I'll play villains. (laughs) (laughs) I love that because he's like also a villain in Moon Knight. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. He's also getting into the MCU at all. Which speaking of that, I feel like Scott Derrickson took what he learned from the experiences of making like Sinister and Exorcism of Emily Rose and then what he learned working on Doctor Strange um, and he was supposed to be the person doing Multiverse of Madness, but he backed out due to creative differences. So I wonder what his version would have been like and if we would have liked it more. Well, I mean, that movie wasn't good. So no, I think I know. he made the right choice. I agree. <laughs> um, but I feel like he probably learned a lot on the, on, on the Marvel experience. And I think he, he merges those things really well in this. Mm-hmm. That it is like a little bit more accessible than some, some of his other stuff, but it still maintains that like hauntingness and he uses the like found footage and... The flashbacks and oh, I really liked it. I, I've like, yeah, I agree. All that stuff was done really, really well. And I, I think that Stuckman talked about this, um, but like the jump scares felt really intentional. There's only really two. Yeah, but like, and they're earned. Yeah, I feel like it's there's not, um, insidious level jump no. scares. Um, they did get me though. Yeah. And I think I think when the first one happened, one person I can't remember. Do you remember what the person in the audience said? It was really funny. Oh yeah, I can't. They like they flipped out and they were like, "What the heck was that?" Or like something. <laughs> I don't know. It was funnier than that, but um, but I also I really like the setting. Like it's set mm-hmm. in the seventies, and I, I thought that they captured that vibe per- perfectly. Mm-hmm. Um, and the kids crushed it. The two, I mean, all the kids in it are really good, but um. 
Mason Thames as Finney and Madeline McGraw as Gwen. They're so Put good. those kids in everything. Well, and like, I love their like sibling dynamic. Yeah. Um, I thought, and they just handled some really heavy emotional stuff really well. And like, um, typically underplayed stuff. Like there's scenes yeah. of emotionality throughout here that you don't typically get in movies, in, like, in horror movies you know, as a, specifically. As a, you know, something that I think people might not expect going into it that maybe they'd want to know. There's some pretty hyper real depictions of like parental violence against children yeah, um, that are really intense. And like I think about how that is depicted in it mm. and how it's played really off screen and really like in the as. vein. And, and that's OK. I mean, in terms of what's going on in it, I don't want to see that. But the way that it happens in it is very similar to the way that like all the stuff with Pennywise happens in the new it's where I'm like it felt very elementary horror to me whereas this feels a step above that and the hyper real use of violence um, like you know there's schoolyard violence there's this violence happening within the home and then there's the violence happening with like the grabber it is it's it's very real yeah in like in a way that like really discomforted me um, and as it should Oh, yeah. Yep. Like, it shouldn't be something that we just slough off. But then I do think that anyone who has experiences with domestic violence, this could be a super upsetting movie for because it is, it it felt very, like, what would happen in real life and not stylized and not hinted at and not downplayed and not rushed through um, or, like, blink and it's over. Um, it was really upsetting. It was really discomforting. And and these these things happen multiple times throughout the movie, um, so intense, but I think necessary, and um, used for purpose within the film. Yep. Yeah, everything feels very intentional to set up our characters, the tone, um, and yeah, just to to really kind of immerse us into the lives of those kids. Yeah, and the yeah. reality of being a kid in this town where somebody called the grabber is taking kids. And in contrast to like my gripes with the edge, you know, this movie actually has quite a lot of character development prior to Finney being kidnapped. Right. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, you know that that's going to happen if you've, read anything about this movie and yet it, it doesn't happen until quite a bit into the film and so this movie was able to invest me so much in the character in the character's desires and shortcomings and relationships with other people and um therefore i cared when things were happening yeah um now i will say i feel like the trailer gives away way too much yeah um and that's disappointing yeah. Um. And I kind of wish that I hadn't seen the trailer so many times. Um. <laughs> well, they put the nope trailer on the front oh, of this one again. We didn't plug our ears this time, but we did close our eyes. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. After all of our, yeah, it was just anyway. So I have to start doing that for everything. Just close your eyes at everything. I, I'm starting to get into this camp of like maybe not watching trailers is good. Um. But yeah, I was really invested in in the characterization and I'd be re remiss not to talk about the fact that I cried twice in this movie. I cried twice 
in a PG-13 horror movie. But it was like, while I didn't cry, like there's some really good and very powerful emotional beats in here. Yeah, I was like really invested in the outcome. Mm -hmm. Beyond just a this is fun way, like I really cared. And so, like, I don't know necessarily that, like, everyone would like this movie as much as, as we did. Um, and I'm not sure that it'll hold up on a rewatch. Yeah. Like, this might be a... Knowing everything that happens. Yeah, you know, it, yeah. it loses the sparkle. Um, so I might just never watch it again for that reason. Or I'll give it a try and I'll be like, oh, okay, it wasn't as good as I initially thought. It might be, like, a fun rewatch when we, like... We tend to watch a lot of horror movies around Halloween. Yeah. And we, if we're wanting to, if we're wanting to watch something that we know is good, yeah, and that we enjoy, might but I'll be curious to see if, how much it holds up. And there's some clunky and silly stuff that really makes me wonder if like that will bother me more on rewatch because there's some mm. things that don't totally coalesce in it, um, and those might bother me more when I like know what's happening. Yeah. Because in the movie, I was just, it wasn't until the end that I was like, oh, those threads didn't really come together. But for the most part, I really, really liked it. Yeah. And it made me like excited for what Scott Derrickson does next. It made me excited for what these kids do next. Um, I also, as soon as we got home, the first thing I did was find the short, the Joe Hill short story online and read it. Mm -hmm. Like the the part of the short story, it's about 30 pages um, that is in the film is almost verbatim. Mm. With the exception of... Um, the grabber in in Joe Hill's story is described to have a much more similar physique and vibe to John Wayne Gacy. Mm. Um, like Vinny re frequently refers to him as the fat man in in the short story, which is Ethan Hawke is definitely not giving off that um, mm -hmm. that that visual connection to John Wayne Gacy. Although there's other connections. Um, but some of the dialogue from the short story is like verbatim in the movie. Mm, but mm -hmm. the the short story is a much more condensed version. And so I think in some ways what they tried to add to make this a feature film, like maybe they could have cut some of the things that they did. But I was really particularly impressed with how they developed the character of Gwen, who was one of my favorite parts of the movie. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So good. Yeah. Yeah. So the Black Phone, new movie we saw this week, being talked about a lot. How'd it make you feel? Uh, I was just like so pleasantly surprised. Just again, having the nervousness of seeing the trailer and, you know, not not knowing if I'm kind of expecting another sinister movie, and even though there is a sinister two, which we have not seen. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, I, I I really enjoyed this. I had a I had a good time. Um, happy to have seen it and. Uh, yeah, I I, just, I think that I agree. I'm I'm excited. It makes me excited to see what Scott Derrickson is gonna do, gonna do next because he has a he's a very specific eye and a, a specific vibe and these things that he likes to do in his films now that we saw in especially in Sinister and now in Black Phone, um, and I'm excited to see what what he does next. Yeah, yeah. How about you? I was just so engrossed and so invested and what more could I ask for? Yeah. Really liked it. Um, I'm particularly bothered by sensory things and the fact that we had that totally disruptive, frustrating experience with our seats at the beginning. The fact that that didn't ruin the movie for me just I think is such a credit to 
how much I liked the movie. I think, and like the audience as a whole was pretty good. Yeah. And I think yeah, that there's this a couple is... people that got a little chatty once it started to get scary. And I'm like, oh, yeah. Don't go to horror movies if you don't like them. <laughs> but um, like, but it was especially, good. especially for a PG 13 horror movie. Yeah. When we saw the visit, that was brutal. Yeah. So, like, I think that there's always a big risk with that. But no, no it was, it was, it was a really great crowd, which yeah. is <laughs> a blessing. Yeah. I don't know that everyone's going to feel the same way as us, but I really liked it. Yeah, it's like you said, it's very divisive, but I'm I'm team yes. I am also team yes. All right. It is the time of the week to talk about some bad dads and rad dads. It is the time to talk about silly old dads. All right. Who's your bad dad nominee? <laughs> <laughs> there is something really obvious I could have done here. I decided not to. Okay. My dad, bad dad nominee is uh, Alan Cummings' character of Wyatt from <laughs> Josie and the Pussycats. Oh, yes. Uh, you want to know why? Please. He's a gaslighter. He's a manipulator. He's a poser and he is a deceiver. <laughs> and he only cares about money and himself. Yeah, all, all very true. And as a manager, he's acting in a parental role. And he sucks. <laughs> he does suck. Truly. Um, I did not go... That direction. Okay, so you picked Jeremy Davies' character, the, the dad from The Black Phone? No. Oh, okay, tell me. Uh, I said Bob, played by Alec Baldwin in The Edge. <laughs> oh, I'm, okay. <laughs> um, I just said that he's dangerously selfish. And he has a very toxic personality just in general. Like, he just kind of thinks he's entitled to a bunch of stuff. And he's like, he's like, his shit don't stink. He's very pompous. Um, but he learns. I guess I hmm, that can be said of a lot. <laughs> Keep going. Uh, I don't. I don't. I don't even necessarily like. I'm not even convinced that he fully like learns anything. <laughs> <laughs> um, I I think that I I yeah I think that he just has like a very toxic outlook on the world and as a as a dad figure i i feel like he'd be a terrible dad and i feel like he wouldn't bring very positive things to the table as my dad i think i'm right <laughs> <laughs> so as counter argument alan cummings characters actions in the opening scene of josie the Pussycats. <laughs> yeah yeah i think that Wyatt is a more interesting character to <laughs> delve into and watch on screen. Um, and I think that there's just like more things that you can point to and like I mean, subtler things to point to. The gaslighting that he does to Josie is pretty bad. All of the, pretty all, bad. All of those ladies. It's yes. It's like, yeah, no, he, he's nasty. He's I mean, he's nasty. fun to watch. I thought you were going to say the low-hanging fruit was going to be the grabber. <laughs> <laughs> I just meant like the the kids in the black phone, like their dad is a bad dad. Yeah. Like, so it's just the lit the literal bad dad. Yeah. Um, But the more interesting bad dad that I feel like you just agreed to name with me yes. is Alan Cummings' character of Wyatt from Josie and the Pussycats. So get out of here. We don't want you to be our dad. Dejure means go away. <laughs> Step off. <laughs> um... Do you want to tell me who your rad dad is? Yeah, it's uh, it's Gwen, Madeline McGraw from Black Phone. Yeah, me too. Yeah, hell yeah, she just kicks ass. Like she's, 
she's so caring of her brother um and she's determined she's loving she's resilient mm, i have uh, that word written down too nice uh she's protective and she's supportive um yeah she's just yeah she's a little ass kicker oh my she, goodness she was so great elliot soulmates this is what i have written down loving supportive protector never gives up resilient she she is did you say she's a little ass kicker yeah she's amazing yeah. i completely agree like this character is i actually think the reason i love this movie mm-hmm. and i get that some people don't like precocious kids in movies um so whatever then don't watch this but she's so good and she's so much more than that one dimensional thought that a person might have um there is some scenes in this movie where she broke my heart in pieces and like the fact that she was able to do that acting at her age just really impressed me. Mm-hmm. Um, and the dynamic between Finney and Gwen is so special. Yeah. Um, and those two actors convinced me that that dynamic was there. Yeah, she's the best. Yeah, she rocks. So Gwen Shaw. Be our dad. Be our dad. Okay. Our rad wreck this week is very exciting. Yeah, it's so exciting. <laughs> so... Probably our next most anticipated movie of the year is Marcel the Shell with Shoes On. Yeah. We, we've talked about it a few times. I've teared up watching the trailer multiple times. Oh, yeah. Like, it's 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 going to be great. I know it's going to be awesome. Um, But something that came, came to our attention um, over social media was that the Edmonton International Film Festival is actually doing an advanced screening of it this month. And we're like, oh, man. Not only would it be exciting for us to go to the event screening, but we would actually love to get more people to come out to this event event screening. So we reached out and we're actually doing a little partnership with IFE to give away a couple pairs of tickets mm-hmm. to see Marcel Lachelle at this advanced screening. So we're going to do a little bit of a online social contest um, where we're going to have a post that goes out on our Instagram. And we're going to ask that... You can go to our Instagram and that you can throw us a like, share the post out. Follow us if you aren't already. And then also leave a comment on the post telling us why you would be excited to see Marcel Lachelle with shoes on. And you'll be entered to win uh, a pair, one, uh, a pair of two pairs of tickets to go see the advanced screen on Wednesday, July 13th at Landmark Cinema in uh, downtown Edmonton. Um, so we're going to be there. We're super excited about it. Yeah, we bought our tickets as soon as we heard about this. And then we were like, we want we want this show to sell out. Um, Marcel the Shell is actually like really meaningful to us. Yeah. Like Let's, and has been for years. We, yeah, we're not going to talk about it right we'll now. We'll get into it after we see the movie. Yeah, yeah, Elliot. But- <laughs> Don't shut us down. <laughs> Step off. Yeah. Don't, I wasn't going to get into it. Don't give him the bread if we haven't given I just the biscuits. Wanted, I just wanted to say... I'm not giving any biscuits. I just <laughs> wanted to say that Marcel Shell is and has been really meaningful to us for years, independently and together. And we'll get into those stories another day. <laughs> oh, Summer Kylie's going away. I'm <laughs> real testy right now. No. <laughs> um, but I'm really, really excited to see this movie um, and really excited that Aif is putting this on um, IFE is awesome. That theater is awesome. And um, we hope to see a bunch of you there. And 
um, are excited to see who wins the tickets. By the time this episode airs, the contest has probably already started. Mm-hmm. Um, so some of you may have entered already. Um, but if you haven't, go Get do on it. it. Yes. Yeah. Um, yeah. I've are just some of the nicest people, kindest people, and they do such a killer job curating all of their programming each year and uh, the actual film festival this year is happening from September 22nd to October 1st and it it is a really killer festival mm-hmm. and especially in you know in Edmonton that you wouldn't necessarily think has like the has the potential for a really cool film festival but we totally do mm-hmm. and they show really great Oscar qualifying films um one of which was Parasite which ended up winning Best Picture and is one of our favorite movies mm-hmm. of all time. They also curate a really great batch of what they call lunchbox shorts. So over lunch hours, uh, they have tons of short films to the show. I've gone to a number of them and it's it's so great. You can find you can see so many great short films from all over the world. Yeah. And even um if the short film, if anything happens, I love you, won the Oscar for Best mm-hmm. Short. And, and you saw one called Exit Strategy one year. Um that I now teach. Yeah. It's so good. Yeah, it's it's awesome. So it's a really great thing. So if if you're in Edmonton or have the ability to come to Edmonton this fall to uh, attend the Edmonton Film Festival, International Film Festival, we highly recommend you do. And yeah, come see Marcel Lachelle with us um, and enter to win some tickets over on our Instagram. And you can get more details on the film festival itself at edmontonfilmfest.com. And you can reach our Instagram at... Bad dad dot rad dad. Um, but yeah, that's it. Super excited about that. Me too. But uh, all that said, thank you so much for listening to this episode. We drop a new one every single Thursday. And in the meantime, we'll absolutely love you if you can head over to our Instagram, bad dad dot rad dad, enter the contest um, and give us a little like, follow, slide into our DMs. Uh, we're also over on Twitter at bad dad rad dad. And you can get a sneak peek at what, we, what we've been watching on our individual Letterboxd accounts. Links for those will be in the show notes. And we would absolutely love, 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 love you forever if you could drop us a rating, review, or a follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you're listening from. But uh, yeah, that's going to do it for us for this week. So until next time. I'm Kylie, and my dad's dead. I'm Elliot, and my dad's a deadbeat. But remember. Not all dads have to be bad. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade.